This is exactly right. This is my favorite murder. And uh, and we're here to provide you with all your true crime slash comedy needs mm-hmm. uh, via podcast in your ear hole. That's right. Any content that you're looking for that involves true crime and comedy, this is what... Hi, we're here. That's it. Yeah. Hi. It, we've got the audio version to please yeah. you. Stop asking. You've got it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's kick this off. Oh, and God. Let's just do this. Yeah. So with heavy hearts, uh, we were quite heartbroken that last week we had to shut down our Facebook page, but essentially we could no longer be responsible for the things that were happening on it. First and foremost, pretty much first and last, I would say was somebody posted a racist post on our Facebook page. That's kind of the beginning and the end of it. The, everything that happened after that was because there was a, fa- a racist post on our Facebook page. There was fighting, but... We went in there and went, there's no way to solve this for us because that's unacceptable to us. We have, we are trying to have a zero tolerance policy about racism. And then we realize if it's not us doing it, then we can't be responsible for what happens. I mean, if our names are still attached to it, then it is our responsibility. That's right. And so it's just gotten too big. And, and those kinds of incidents, like we just don't want that anywhere near us. Mm -hmm. We can't afford it and we don't want it. my favorite murder is a fucking open, diverse fucking audience. We welcome everyone and we have literally no patience in our lives and in this podcast <laughs> for any kind of fucking racism. Also, and intolerance. Um, ba- making mistakes about or being culturally insensitive um, is definitely something we have done in the past and that we probably will do in the future because we're two white girls with, from a uh, lower middle class backgrounds. <laughs> right. Um, so we have our own biases and ignorances that we work through on this podcast with with our listeners. Thank God. And that we're happy to learn. Like, <clears throat> I love how much we've learned through this podcast of things we shouldn't do and 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 did wrong and didn't even realize. And, you know, it's an amazing learning experience. Yeah. And we are continuing to learn. We're not going to stop. And so basically, we just we just have to we, we make enough mistakes by ourselves. We can't we can't be responsible for mistakes other people make. I think overall, for me, the most important thing is it's very important that this community is united. It's 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 a very powerful group of people that listen to this podcast that have reached out to each other and that have connected to each other. And whatever problems that, that we all might face and stumbling blocks that we all might hit along the way, let's continue to reach toward each other because we're stronger together. And it's really a powerful thing um, that we're beginning to move toward each other. And I think the effort, I think that's just the key thing that we, that we continue to do that. And I, and from what I've seen, that seems like what the majority of people want to do and are interested in doing and are putting work toward doing. So we thank you very much for your patience and we apologize for the hurt feelings and, and some of the anger that's out there. It's not what we want. It's nothing we can control. And we just, we hope 
to do better in the future. Yeah. And I just want to address really quickly um, the teepee design, which is one of those things that, you know, as fucking culturally woke as we believe we are, we just completely fucked up and missed. And I take total fucking, you know, it's culturally appropriation. It's something that we now realize and will be a lot more um, attuned to in the future. We took down the teepee design. It's now just a tent. And we're also donating $10,000 to the First Nations Development Institute, you know, as an apology. And we're sorry for that. And, uh, you know, in the future... I hope we make better decisions. I mean, this is the, that's the way we learn. The, uh, we talked to a, a, several people who also have popular podcasts. And my favorite comment was somebody said, I can't believe you even still had a Facebook page in your it's name. Like 22,000 people? No. No, 200 to. 238,000 people. That's, it's way too, it's way too big. Too many people. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we went much longer than the average fan site goes without infighting and the, and the fold. But anyway, I'm sad because that was a good place for me to go like late at night with insomnia. Like people would post these links to stories, but now we have the fan cult. There's also a forum on the fan cult where you can post stuff and that is a little bit of a neater, more contained group of conversations and links and discussions. Well, and, and we have direct control over it. Right. I think that's that's the key. All right. Well, here's my corrections corner from two weeks ago when I did uh, the Gainesville Ripper. And man, I got a lot of flack for this. And I totally understand. Listen, everyone, I went to community fucking college <laughs> and I dropped the fuck out. You pissed off some college people. Yes. I think you went, you, pl- you planted yourself right in the center of some kind of a, some kind of a rivalry, a Florida I rivalry. I totally did. Did you? And it, because, and I remember, re- I remember getting to the like, you of whatever. And I was like, oh shit, Georgia, you have two choices to make. Like, just fucking say one thing. You should have looked this up. And I said that it was Florida State when really it was University of Florida. <laughs> in Gainesville <laughs> fucking shit which of course is represented by their mascot Karen the the leafy sea dragon exactly so go leafy sea dragons Yay. I'm so sorry that you know we fucked this up <laughs> and uh, or we we meaning me yeah you dra- tried to drag me down into that right. shit Karen should have known um, <laughs> I have to say it it did hit my ear odd <laughs> no I have no idea what's going on most of the time um, <clears throat> that's true <laughs> um, okay what so you are watching fucking finally watching succession oh my succession. god how good is it? first of all Karen Culkin my face, this, he needs to win a hundred million Emmys, but make new Emmys. Here's the beauty. And I think if you're at trying to be a film or television actor, if you could just please show us that you're having a great time oh. being that person. Sometimes those giggles that he lets out when oh. he's just about to be an asshole are like the most delightful thing that yeah. happens to me all day. This is it's, like he knows this is, he was made for this character. Yes. And also those personalities, um, are, they're, they're like tropes of people that you you in, in, encounter in life so often uh-huh. where so often I'll be in a in some kind of a business or have been, I should say, mm-hmm. in business situations in 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 my career and watched a dude talk like that. And then like, <laughs> I think I'm being funny, but I'm actually being a monster asshole, but I'm doing it under the guise of humor. Yeah. And why aren't you laughing along? 11 year old boy and then or they're like, wh- whoever they, think they you decide. You don't get the joke anymore. <clears throat> like you, it's your problem for not understanding the joke. Or, or yeah, it's, it's a totally, it's not a joke. It's just someone being a passive aggressive and they yeah. go, dude, I'm fucking with yeah. you. And then you're just like, in your mind, you just check off, like never be in the room with and that guy go, again. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I 
kidding. kidding. Why don't you get it? Calm down. I'm kidding. It's just a, it's a bevy of assholes. Also, the, the one and only Mr. Darcy, Matthew McFadden is in that. And he has, you told me this. Sorry, I'm repeating what you told me. No, but I was, but I just like, I'm so glad you know now because all I could say was like, oh my fucking God. Oh my fucking God. You Mr. Darcy to- has an American accent and he's one of the bigger assholes on the show. Just, I and mean, he just wait this, the whole season, he, sucks so bad <laughs> it's so beautiful how much he sucks it's a study in people who suck and why and then the big brother what's his name from uh, ferris Bueller's day off oh oh alan ruck but, like those oh god <laughs> when he told the little girl i have an aquifer and you can have i'll share it with you it's just <laughs> there's everything about it is amazing truly truly one of my favorite fucking shows and okay my show that i want to fucking mention for no reason just to tell everyone is sure. there's a show called castle rock that's out now okay and it's um set in the in the stephen king multiverse which i read off of their wikipedia um but basically <laughs> which you also live in yes which means that so it's stephen king i don't know he's like kind of somewhere part of it somewhere god does he write it stephen will you check that i'm not fucking this up um so, so like they'll be going through old newspapers and then they live in castle rock and it'll be like one easter egg that says like rabid dog trolls town or whatever um but it's produced by jj abrams and it's this like creepy like something happened to this town and this guy played by andre holland from moonlight as a kid and like did this thing happen or didn't think this thing happen and fucking um bill skarsgård who might be the hottest skarsgård which Skarsgård is that? It's a, one, it's a new one. They well, created a no. new one in a fucking laboratory. <laughs> I swear to God. And is he's he, like, did he escape from Westworld and come over to Castle Rock? He's like bony and like angular and super fucking hot. I gotta say, and I, you know, I support the whole Skarsgård family. They've been clan. great to us. They like to be called clan. They're a clan, and they've been so good to kill Gareth. But that's not my type at all. The, no, he's not. Scar- the Skarsgård. He isn't. He's not a tall, skinny blonde. Wait, well, well, that other one isn't... No, okay, yeah. I guess he's... But this other Skarsgård, the one who isn't like Wormwood, he's kind of nebbishy. <laughs> I didn't see Wormwood. <laughs> <laughs> I might be getting What's my... Wormwood? <laughs> Wormwood's the one where it, where he... Uh, where it's like the documentary kind of oh, thing right, where right, he right. got like lsd yes. in the fucking military and shit. Yeah. All right, man. Tangent. Sorry, I and totally then, forgot about Wormwood. I just wrote a thing in my mind. I was like, did Neil Gaiman write Wormwood? Is that <laughs> Worms? <laughs> and and Melanie Linsky, who yes. was a togetherness. So I fucking love her so much. Yes. And she's from a ridge from uh, Heavenly Creatures. Oh, right. She's the girl with Kate Winslet in Heavenly Creatures. Oh, right. I love I just like watching her on screen a lot. So it's a really good show. Melanie Linsky is a great un- unsung great actress. I think she's being sung on fucking Castle. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, now I have to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also because you and I have talked about this, but Stephen King books were so yes. my thing. Like when I was 12 and I realized I could read a book that was very easy for my eyes to read. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have to concentrate too hard. Complicated. But it was very adult. And, and it was so like, it was so visual. It was so cinematic. Yes. No one can, I feel like no one can do it like him in that way. Like no. when I read The Stand, I was in The Stand. Yeah. The world was ending because of the flu. My 13-year-old, so 14-year-old existence was just Stephen King book after Stephen King book. Yeah. And I, it's just, it was amazing. I had to hide mine um, and pretend I was reading Judy Bloom. <laughs> 
my mom didn't care, but my dad'd be like, "Why does that book have a skull on the front of it? Why can't you sleep? And you're scared out of your fucking mind." You're my yes. brother in high school named his stupid, like sweet, dumb mutt dog Cujo. And it was the funniest thing because it was like the sweetest dog you've ever met. I saw him as a puppy, and he was just like, "Hey!" And my brother was like, "His name's Cujo." <laughs> Asher Cujo was filmed There's one part Where they're driving out To the mechanics ranch Uh And it's filmed In Petaluma Oh shit Yeah it's filmed On Bodega Avenue Like on the way out To my house Uh And when you know That came out And whenever it was I was probably 14 The pride That we Uh, all felt We're like Look it's our street It was just so exciting I bet Let's all This week Watch Stand By Me again Just to have a moment Of our nostalgia and our youth. I love that, that might, movie. That is one of, oh my God, listen. It's Corey so Feldman. Good. I was a Corey Feldman freak as a child. <laughs> Were you? Yeah, because he was Jewish. So I thought it was like, oh, he's Jewish. And yeah. I like that. That fucking River Phoenix. Oh, he is. Dreamboat. See, River Phoenix in that movie was like, mm. when you're a little girl and there's a boy in your school and he's like a little man. Mm-hmm. He like bear, he does everything manly except smoke cigarettes, but like right up to where like they have, they have like so a sensitive. deep scratchy voice yeah. and they kind of take care of business and they, they're not mean to little kids and they're kind of like, Hey, hey, be, there's always that one boy that's like that. But I think what he did was spawn a generation of girls who grow, grew up to be women that mm-hmm. when guys are hot and quiet, they love them. Yes. When really it just means they're, crazy or boring when they're quiet <laughs> but you know yeah. the idea that first of all the idea that that movie is built around do you want to go see a dead body yeah. which is like of course i do yeah if only there was one girl in that so i could have really yeah, yeah. really gotten in there but second only uh that fucking scene where lardass barfs at the pie eating contest yeah. is like the greatest thing that's ever happened yeah. it's yeah. the best life-changing it's so it's so great my right. dad used to talk about that scene constantly <laughs> It was his favorite. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of fat shaming, but he won in the end. It's kind of what? Fat shaming, but, you know, it's body positive. It's body positive. Because so he, he won in the end. And then also, because our young Jerry O'Connell, who in the movie is a little fat guy, grew up to be Mr. <gasps> Mr. Atlas, rock solid, body, body, body. Can I just say I follow Jerry O'Connell on Instagram, and he... And Rebecca Romaine just seem like the fucking nicest people. Like, and so funny and so normal and adorable, but like the most beautiful people you've ever seen. But like, they're just, like, they seem so cool. It's once again, it's like people actually having a good time with their That's right. fame and fortune. They should fight Chrissy Teigen and John Legend <laughs> to see who's a cooler couple. <gasps> Wouldn't that be funny? They should have a cool fight. Yeah. Cool off. Um, Shit, I felt like I had something else to tell you. Uh, this, that, the other. There's, uh, oh, there's a bunch of, on the fan cult, uh, site, we're posting weekly on Fridays unboxing videos of us opening what is now a fucking, like, tower of, of unopened gifts in my loft. You guys send us so many rad presents. It's always yeah. Christmas up here in the pod loft. And I think we just filmed one the other day. We filmed a bunch of them for the m- month. And I think it's some of the best fucking gifts we've ever gotten. Like, yeah. I, I truly, this, I just want everyone to see this shit. It's Spoiler incredible. alert, there's tiny food. There's tiny- Let me just tell you, there's tiny, tiny, the this tiniest the best food present. you've ever seen. This is my absolute, like, I started, I literally started crying when I Georgia fucking cried. saw this. Yeah, it's exciting. Oh, wait, I think I should read this to you. Okay, great. 
Because you'll like it. It's an email. Steven, just hand it to me. Great. <laughs> it sounds like the on the news. Oh, it's just in. That was, that was absolutely a lie. But I thought it'd be fun to say like, oh, oh, Steven, oh. just handed me this email. Hot off the presses. Uh, the subject line is Food Network Boiling League. Hey, friends. Oh. I'm literally at work right now at the Food Network listening what? to the podcast. And you guys talking about having a boiling TV show <laughs> made me shit my pants. <laughs> we love you guys here in the Food Network offices. Wow. Totes come to boil some pasta with us when you're in NY. That's literally all I have to, all I have to say. Okay, bye. <laughs> that was from Casey. That's nice. Um, uh, tell Casey they didn't love me when I had a TV show that they didn't want to fucking renew. Hey, listen, I got 20 <laughs> years of stories like that, baby. You got to put in your time in this business. Look at me now. What I love I is... I have a boiling water show, bitch. <laughs> we both had to go... Stephen handed me, hot off the presses, handed me this email, and I was like, what is this about? And he's like, remember in the Cleveland show? And I was like, like, a bowling show? Why what? do we have a bowling show? What do we have bowling? And then he had to basically remind us of our own jokes and, and experience. I was like, that's funny a boiling I didn't like I didn't mean I'm funny I meant like a boiling show would be great I have to say that ha- when you have a podcast and I recommend you start one absolutely everyone everyone please I think have- the new everyone has a book inside them is everyone has a podcast inside them and they truly do yeah record two-hour conversations yeah. and then four weeks later <laughs> go ahead and try to remember anything from those conversations. Yeah. Um, which is why, and I don't think we've ever plugged this, which is why there is a Twitter feed called MFM Out of Context. <laughs> and some some saint is taking quotes, random quotes from all different shows and just tweeting them. And it makes me laugh. And I hate everything I say and do I don't that's not I don't don't enjoy normally don't enjoy going back over things to try and so Catholic of you I know and also it's very like you know uh I'm being very I'm being presentationally like self-loathing right now but truly (laughs) normally it's painful and the other day I I started reading it because somebody retweeted one that Mm -hmm. I was like that's funny and then I started reading it and I texted Georgia I'm like this shit's funny that we're doing I didn't really (laughs) I don't know if I was like we're funny that was question mark question mark question mark (laughs) have you heard of this I, I guess I haven't been uh Paying well, attention. I think it's best I don't pay attention. We but. haven't told Karen that any of this is being recorded <laughs> from the very beginning. We just, she, we, she thinks that the thing, the mic in front of her is actually a cat. And I just think when people tweet at me and tell me things, I'm like, ooh, they really know me really well. Yeah. But it, instead of the fact that they've listened to my conversations. Karen with you. thinks every moment of her life is a multiverse and doesn't realize it's just one long trajectory. I have to say, no, there's a lot of big words there, Georgia. <laughs> I have to say that I, right now just had the recovered memory that i thought of the truman show before the truman show <laughs> because and that sounds be- so truman show of you i know and be- before the person who sued the truman show for saying they also wrote the truman show earlier but when i lived in san francisco i had this feeling mm-hmm. the way and and this may have had to do with the amount of pot i was smoking <laughs> and the amount of beer i was drinking every night but i always had this feeling that when people walked by me on the street they mm-hmm. i didn't they weren't convincing as like extras in yeah, my life like they're playing a role and they're yes. like not doing it very well it'd be like the the it came to my mind one time i was walking down the street in the mission where where we all lived me and my friends and this guy crossed the street like mm-hmm. came from around the corner and crossed the it was street like action extra he was so stiff he was so unnatural there was nothing <laughs> Nothing about it that said he was really doing it. It was and his I went, first day of extra work. Yeah. I was like, this is fake. This is all fake. You're like, bullshit, motherfucker. Get back to one. Let's try that yeah. again, you sir. I thought I must have had some sort of weird. I had such extreme 
um, self-conscious anxiety as a child. So I wasn't high on pot and beer yet. Yeah. Um, that I, (laughs) I concocted this idea in my head. I also wasn't sleeping very well. Listen, I'm, I wasn't crazy that (laughs) I concocted this idea in my head that I, (laughs) that everyone just played along and felt really bad for me because I had this disease where I was always naked and I was the only one who didn't know it. Whoa. Whoa. And I'd go to school and I did this. Like, everyone was like, don't tell Georgia. I might make you cut this out. Like, seriously, so I'm paranoid. But keep talking. Just work through it. And then you I can really cut it out just later. had, I, that's the extent of my anxiety as a child. Was yes. I just thought everyone was fucking with me. Right. Like, constantly. Sure. So I knew everyone was fucking yeah. with me. And then you just, then you just plan for that being the reality yeah. of how do you don't, how do you not get fucked with? Which maybe is why I'm always so naked now. Yes. Like when I answer the hotel room door, when you, <laughs> when you knock on the door and I think it's hilarious to answer when your friend comes to the door and you happen to be naked, just to be like, what's up? So now I'm like, I don't care. I probably am. <laughs> That's still, it's my favorite joke. Day, it, the, I wish I could explain how my eyes didn't accept what I was seeing because I was like, no, no, people don't do this. And Georgia's just standing there like, hey, I <laughs> like just their leg care. out. And it's like, and it was like in the hallway of the hotel. So I'm, yes. bet, I'm betting on no one walking by, you know? Oh, you were rolling those dice. I absolutely was. Also, that was, remember Australia? Aww. We had so much fucking fun on that trip. Dude, that was in Melbourne. That was so much fun. But I bought we the were best also, clothes. We were having the best time while simultaneously trying to write that fucking book yeah you guys remember that book that we never told you about that so we had we were like having great fun and traveling and taking in all this great shit and at the same time there was this intense cord of stress because we were already like three chapters late Yes. We were already immediate, like right when it started, somehow we were already late. We were already behind. And then it was kind of like, what do we do? We have to do it. Do it. it like every time we Just tried to get your together. Just guts out to and work talk about it. your paranoia as a child, <laughs> you was, psychopath. It's so fucking And hard. we were fucking planning, which we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, a fucking podcast network the whole time too. Yes, that's right. Oh, now do we get to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, it's out. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All I want to talk about is how many fucking names we tried to come up with for the podcast <laughs> network i'm not kidding you it took months before we finally got one that wasn't taken already yes well okay so but just for those of you who can't follow this and and we understand and we yeah. do apologize listen um we are now starting our own podcast network which means that um our this my favorite murder will be on it as well as a bevy of other uh podcasts that we can't we're not allowed to tell you what they are right now but when we do tell you you're going to shit Ugh. here's a here's an easter egg of a of a, a hint yes 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 you want to guess at this i love it what's gonna be we <laughs> we, oh, sorry i'm sorry we uh your friends are going to be on this. Yeah. Your friends are going to be on this and people that you know are going to be on this podcast network. It's going to be a My Favorite Murder multiverse. <laughs> there we go. With fucking <laughs> Easter eggs. That, what did you, what was the other word you used? From the trajectory. That, that, from the trajectory. Past, <laughs> from the beginning of the trajectory of My Favorite Murder, the fucking Easter eggs that are going to come in. <laughs> that guy, we did that thing. Remember that thing we talked about? Yeah. It's going to be happening. It's going to, it's, it's going to take some time. We're going to like slowly roll them out. Not slowly, but it's just. We We're gotta, so like, we excited. We gotta curate this fucking network, and we've it's been working be... on it for a while. 
And we have been working on it with you in mind. Yeah. With what you might want to listen to and who you might want to uh, be involved with uh, very much every step of the way. And we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for you That's because right. your guys, you guys listening to this podcast um, and giving us these numbers has enabled us to have people go, oh, we think because you did that, you can do this. Yeah. And so it's just as much yours as it, is, as it is ours. I know sometimes we say shit like that and it sounds really cheesy, but that one's just a fact. Yeah. Like we're, we get to build this because of the support that we have with you guys. And we're so, so excited. Karen. That's exactly right. Ah! Ah! That's the one we came. That's the one that finally we were like, "What stupid shit do we say all the time?" And it was George's idea. That's what I love. It oh, was my quote, but it was you. your idea. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, great. You. It was like the last minute where they were finally like, "We want to going to be SSDGM or not?" And yeah, we were like, "No." It was down to these ones where we were just going back and forth, and then we wanted it to be Red Flag Media. That's Gwen Stefani's company. We want. I wanted. We wanted it to be fucking Starling Media. Starling like Media. Agent Clary Starling. Wouldn't yeah. that be fucking? Perfect? Perfect, but there's some like media in don't fucking don't hound them please <laughs> can you bleep where that i don't know uh and the mistake alone yes. and yeah so then finally it was like oh let's try exactly right with no hope at all because everything look and listen was taken yeah and everything was taken everything was t- all the slogans were taken kill hard just sounds too intense yeah and we're doing more than that we're doing we're developing right. out right, right, right. so anyway uh yeah that um that's a we're we've been excited to tell you about that for a long time too there's been so much happening in the lbc Oh, and here's the E-L-V-I-S. Hi, friend. Mascot. I like when you come over to me first, Elvis. <gasps> Elvis. Hi. Hi. Do you ever pull his tail a little bit? Yeah, yeah. That's Cats like that. Okay, good. Yeah, when you give him like a little kind of a... Just a It's l- almost like a massage. Yeah. But a little like... Get over Not here. Not hard, just like a... Yeah. More of a suggestion. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Mister. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter her promo code space 80. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay. Do we have any other business? I think that's it. So many big pieces of business this week. Yeah. Like scars guards. <laughs> For example, <laughs> it's a real any big piece of business is a, is a downright scars guard at the end of the day. <laughs> I think you're first, right? Am right, I? Steven? Yes. Yep. You did the. Ooh, I just got um like a heart flutter because you love your story. I got a, like a nervous excitement. I'm glad I'm going first because I'm like excited about it. Okay. And it's just like it's gonna be it's gonna be something. Okay. Wow, now I'm excited. Hold on, let me reposition. Yeah. Turn and, towards me. And really face you. Yeah. I like to, normally I like to um, sit parallel to Georgia like we're both on the bus. <laughs> and that it's just some lady talking to me that I'm not necessarily listening to on the bus. Karen hasn't made eye contact with me in six months. <laughs> I think it's better for our performance. And now that we have this new couch from Article, I don't. We there's like nowhere to sit. Good. Okay. And because they don't have stores, shipping, blipping, <laughs> blipping, shippy, shippy, shoppy. Promo code murder. Okay. All right. Speaking of Culkins, uh oh, this is the murder <gasps> of Angel Melendez. Yes, and the AKA the Party Monster murder. That's right. It's fucking right. It is. This is this story. Yep. How have I not done this already? Yeah, that's very. That's a good question like, to ask yourself. It is. I was a wannabe club kid when it was all over. You had huge Junko jeans, right? No, I didn't have Jinkos, but oh, I had the huge stack. Uh, shoes. Oh, okay. I had like, you know, Adidas that were stacked up high. Yes. I had like the p pigtails that were crimped and that I wanted, <laughs> but this is in fucking Orange County. Like yeah. I wanted to be a club kid. In like Manchester? No, in New York. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, Manchester works too. I was just thinking in Hacienda. Yes. Oh, wait, sorry, really quick. Did you ever, have you seen, I, I went down a bit of a Killian Murphy hole mm -mm. as I, I want to do during my days. There's video of him as like a 19 year old at the Hacienda dancing. Which by the way, for those who know what we're talking about, watch 24 hour party people, the movie, first of all. But yes, we, when please. we were in fucking Manchester, we stayed across the street from the, where the hacienda was which is now of course high-rise buildings anyways yeah. okay all right okay so back to the america uh, hand okay so uh i want to say that i got there's so much online of information but i, I got uh a couple of my sources that i want to 
go ahead and give credit to is there's a, a shockumentary called mm-hmm. Party Monster okay. um, from 1998. And then The Guardian, there's a good article by Emma Brocks. B-R-O-C-K-E-S? Brokes? Brocks. B-R-O-C-K-E-S? Mm-hmm. Brocks, I'd say. Brocks. And also, there's a fucking American justice about this. So Hell yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, Hell it's yeah. bananas. No, this this story was humongous when yeah. it happened. Yeah. It was huge. It was. So, here we go. Let's, let's fucking time and place this motherfucker. Okay. It's the 1980s in New York City. These crazy mega dance clubs like Studio 54 are all the rage for the rich, famous assholes who want to (laughs) see and be seen um, and hobnob and do designer drugs and shit. Like It's like the fucking rich, famous people are all the rage. Hell yeah. Um, (laughs) That's Karen's scene. I'm into it. (laughs) So going to these clubs meant seeing legit celebrities like uh, Cher and Andy Warhol and Mick Jagger. And the guest list is fucking tight. It's hard to get into these clubs. It's like, no, there's not for nobodies you know what i mean like yeah. you have to be somebody um and it fit in perfectly with the Reagan or be hot or be gorgeous yeah uh it fit in perfectly with the reagan era values the, of money and celebrity obsession and excess and vanity but then the 1987 and 1987 the uh, economy crashed yeah it did yeah it did interest rates increased blah, 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 blah. all these things that happen when economy crashes happened um <laughs> you're not going to go into that do you want to hear about uh <laughs> debt that had accumulated in the late 1980s began to catch up with people did um, the dow jones industrial average mm-hmm. move around a little bit that's right the, yeah the biggest bust in the in the okay uh and then of course in 1987 the death of andy warhol so it's kind of like this era came to a motherfucking end Mm -hmm. and this led to the mega clubs closing down and in their place these smaller clubs popped up that were like fuck the reagan era values of excess and also remember this is pre giuliani new york so this was kind of a fucking trash fire there was (laughs) there was um Piles and piles of garbage on the street. Type right. Of, it was that kind of thing. There was uh, not so many cops and lots and lots of garbage. It was it was a very, um, what's the word, like urban fucking anything goes insanity, you know, be yourself or be a homeless person on crack. Like it was just, there was a lot going on at the yeah. time. You you crime. didn't go there for, for tourist stuff. Tourists didn't go there. Right. Nobody was really being tough on crime the no. way they, they like to become later. Yeah. Uh, Look it up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's videos. There's all kinds of elements to it. Right. So before it became a family-friendly tourist trap. So there's the CD anything goes attitude going on. So in 1984, into this world comes a 17-year-old kid from South Bend, Indiana. He arrives and begins hosting small events. And his name is Michael Alig. He says he knew he was gay since he was in kindergarten, and, but in fucking South Bend, Indiana, which probably doesn't, isn't the most tolerant place in the 80s. Um, so he never felt like... No, he, nowhere was. I mean, that's really, true. <laughs> there was a very intolerant time. Nowhere was tolerant. That's right. So he felt like he never fit in. He was effeminate. So he was an easy target. And his youth was uh, just spent being bullied. Mm-hmm. And that included his father disapproving of him and eventually abandoning the family. His mom seems like she was fucking obsessed with him. In the in the Party Monster documentary, she talks about him and she's clearly just him now real quick question is the the term shockumentary am i supposed to have known that is that something that's happened before or is it just this one i think it's the, like part of this is like 
it's like party monster the shockumentary it's okay. not just a document you know what i mean okay but there yeah, are it's, it's are part there... of the name of the, this movie oh got it so got it's it, a documentary it. but they want there's it. not like a whole bunch of other shockumentaries i need to rent i'm not going to answer that because i don't want to get yelled at got it i might be wrong mm-hmm. that's part of the name of this uh documentary okay. got it Da, 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 da. So Michael, so he's played. Okay, here's how to picture him in the movie Party Monster. He's played by Macaulay Culkin, right? Perfectly, right. I think he's this skinny, <laughs> gawky kid. Uh, his mother described him as an honorary little honorary little fellow and an instigator. So he's just always kind of this like troublemaker. He moved to New York, and he was finally able to come out of the closet and be the weirdo self that he had always tried to hide. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Michael begins to frequent these anything goes clubs like Tunnel in Chelsea with a band of these misfit kids. They're all outsiders. They're fringe people from small towns who came to look for a group that would accept them. It almost seems like you now you would think of like art students, like a bunch right. of fucking artsy fuck everything. But like they had this playground of New York City in the 80s to to do anything they wanted with. So cool. Yeah. So also, so um, like that's that's how a lot of re- like trends come about. Right. Or kids like that. Right. That, like the outsiders that are doing whatever they want and doing drugs. And then they, for some reason, pick up a thing and put it around their neck and suddenly yeah. someone else sees it. And then that's the trend. And like, they're doing it to, to eschew the fucking mainstream and fuck you to the mainstream. And yeah. then it becomes mainstream. And like everyone also remember probably fucking 20 year olds out there. Like th- there's no Internet. There's no fucking you maybe see some people in magazines doing these things. But, you know, it's not this isn't, you know. There's no, um, there's no internet to influence anyone. Yeah, people. When you were trying to be cool in the '80s and '90s, you had to go out and earn it. Yeah. You had to go find where the cool people were, copy what they were mm-hmm. doing, get in, try to get in what they were doing, get the drugs they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like it was all very. You had to be like man on the street about yeah. it. You couldn't just stay home and be like, oh no, I'm going to get that same tattoo or yeah. whatever. You had to really. And also that was back when like being a poser was a real right. threat. You didn't ever want to be seen as a poser. Yeah. It's all very clicky. So, da, 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 da. okay. So uh, they're given the moniker, the club kids. Uh, and Alig, his, it's like this mini movement of these outlandishly dressed partygoers. They get inspiration from punk, S&M, and clown styles, I read in one article, <laughs> which like kind of is perfect. They look like these circus, they look like, Circus freaks from the future trying to look like vintage circus freaks a lot of the time. I mean, to me, that just says you did your drugs before you got ready. (laughs) So, like, instead of getting ready to go out and then doing drugs on your way out, you did your drugs, like, at 3 p.m. Yeah. And then you started going, what if I paint my whole head red? (laughs) But here's the thing. In the beginning, and for a lot of years, the, the, the drugs weren't really a thing. Oh. Like in all these early videos of, that you that they have of them online, they're drinking vodka and orange juice. Like mm-hmm. drugs were not part of the scene at the beginning. It was almost this like, you know, it was like uh, what's the what's the word um, performance art, and oh, okay. that's what fueled them. So maybe they fucking did a bump here and there, but like mostly it was just drinking and and kind of just being like, hey, here's my crazy outfit. Yeah, and fuck you. Yeah, this awesome. very fuck you, but. 
that the drugs weren't really there yet. Um, so they fucking got ready, not on drugs, probably drunk, which explains the painting your face red too. I was just trying to relate it to how it used to be for me <laughs> when I would end up in a weird, in some kind of weird turtleneck with a vinyl dress shit that I would always do. <laughs> Eyeliner up to your fucking ears. Uh, and then, oh, maybe I'll take an hour and pluck all my eyebrows off because I'm on speed. <laughs> not okay. above it. They're giving the Monica Club kids. They wear over-the-top uh, outfits. They're often homemade or assembled from thrift, thrift store costumes, which, like, can you imagine the New York City in the 80s thrift stores? Uh, I would die. Mm. Um, the outfits were unique and crazy, and they, like, showed expressions of who they were. One person just fucking wore a chicken mascot costume. <laughs> <laughs> That's taking the easy way out. I mean, look, <laughs> get, do your best. Um, Alec was accompanied by people like uh, familiar names like RuPaul fucking grew out of this Shit. neighborhood area. Oh. Amanda Lepore, of course, she's the yes. gorgeous woman. Uh, and then they all made up. And James St. James. James. I know he's in there. He's absolutely in this story. If you have never gone onto the World of Wonder website, which is basically the production company that makes RuPaul's Drag Race and a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. In the early days of the internet, I lived for that website. Everything, all the good videos were on there. They had everything first. They knew all the memes first. Yeah. It was the coolest I haven't gone on as much anymore. Like lately. in all of these documentaries, the James St. James part where they like cut to him and he starts talking is like, he, it's the best part. He's, like everyone shut up. He's, he's talking. E he's everything. He he's everything. Um, so they made up names for themselves. There's a, this girl named Jen Jenny Talia. And I just love that <laughs> so much. I just love that. This is right up your alley. This is so, this is <laughs> like, I fucking emulated this so hard. I can't even tell you. Like, I wanted to go to New York to live with these people. Yeah. Um, there's a guy named Ernie the Pea Drinker. <laughs> <laughs> there's Junkie Jonathan and Woody the Dancing Amputee. Yes. And they push, they also push boundaries of drag and fashion and they were just fucking out there. So the club kids are led by Michael Alig, Alig known as he's like the king of the club kids he's like the fucking pied piper they call him and his mentor slash rival i read in this magazine the equally flamboyant james st james yes um i'm on his side yes <laughs> he didn't do anything <laughs> oh wait was a, yes you should be um they're known for flamboyant behavior outrageous costumes in 1988 so uh, village voice writer and frequent party guest Michael Musto wrote about the club kids. He's just like, he was just like, like this not as flamboyant dude who just kind of like hung out with them and wrote about it, which is pretty great. He said they are terminally superficial, have dubious aesthetic values, <laughs> and are master manipulators, exploiters, and thank God, partiers. Yeah. Um, the Club Kids aesthetic, it was the emphasized the outrageous fabulousness. Gender fluid was a thing. And though not everyone was gay, their scene had an LGBT bent and was popular among the drag queens. And it was kind of just this thing of like, we finally have our place where we get a fucking, you know, all these people come from small towns. We get actually like go over the top. We've been fucking hiding this for years. Yes. Let's. Let's be ourselves. And, and, I, and normal fucking people in the preppies who used to not let us into Club 54 and shit, they're not fucking allowed in here. That's right. That's And I think that's also the at the nearing the end of the AIDS epidemic. Well, yeah, I was just going to talk about oh, that. Okay, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I Literally, the next fucking one <laughs> sentence is, this was in the midst of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. And I was going to tell you to please uh, jump in at any moment because... 
I know you know this too. And that may have helped this drive the party scene because Michael once said, there was a prevailing sense that you and your friends might not be around this time next week. Mm. So enjoy the now. We party too hard, drank too much, and laughed too loud. Yeah. So there's real reason behind that. It's like, you can say it's superficial. You can say that it's right. Um, that they're being mean anything. Yeah. But actually it's, there's very strong. It's almost that thing where the, the, you know, the AIDS epidemic forced so many people to deal with their mortality in the literal way with their friends dying left and right, you know, and a government who truly doesn't give a shit, didn't give a shit and did nothing. Yeah. I mean, you know, why not say fuck you and yeah, and put on crazy pants and go do whatever you want. Yeah, live your life right now while you fucking can. Yeah. Um, the group became an artistic and fashion conscious youth culture, and uh, da, da 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 da. So it's all experimental. The club kids become a force that the media fucking got up, became obsessed with, of course, because they're just so over the top. Uh, Michael and the uh, club kids appear on several talk shows, including Geraldo, which you can totally watch online. Yeah. I remember watching it at my fucking house as a kid. I think it was in like, <laughs> there was, they were on a couple times that I remember being like 12 or 13. So like right on the cusp of when I was going to say fuck it to. And I was just like, well, I need to go to fucking New York immediately. Yeah. Um, and in 1990, the biggest, so, so Michael's doing his thing. He's making a name for himself. He's going to these parties. They're having this fun. And then in 1990, the biggest club owner in the city named Peter Gation puts Michael in charge as a, the promoter for his string of downtown clubs, which included this club called the Limelight. You know, that Gothic revival fucking crazy, like multi-building church in yeah. New York that you drive by and you're in a cab and you're like, what in the fuck is that? Yeah. That was a club yeah. in the fucking 80s and 90s. I know. How insane is that? It's the best. Also, it's a gym now. Doesn't that make you want to cry? No, really? I mean, last, <laughs> last I read it was. Oh. I, I could be something else now. That's so... That's so the teens, the 20 teens. Yeah. That was the job I wanted. The promoter was such a weird, you were like, well, what do you do? You, but all I knew is you, you had to hand out flyers and you got way more money than should be given to people handing out flyers. Or, right. But, but part of it was being beautiful, fashionable, edgy. You had to be the kind of person that if somebody gave you a flyer, you'd want to be, go to the party they were having. That's exactly right. I remember so, girls in high school being like, I'm dating a promoter. And I'd be like, what is that? Yeah. And and who cares? And but then you meet care. the promoter and you're like, I want to be with you forever. Right. So that's, so he becomes this promoter because he is like the fucking top dog, whatever. Um, so Michael got to just throw these lavish parties. He would pick, you know, paid for. He would pick a theme, hire a DJ, make sure all his fabulous friends would show up. He'd pay them to show up. Wow. So suddenly they were getting paid to go fucking clubbing or so go to cool. parties as you, you weren't supposed to call it a rave. You call them going to a party. Mm. Um, why? Because the cops would bust them? Uh, maybe. It just sounded cooler. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so it would, so when all his wild friends would show up with fucking, you know, painted redheads and diapers and with their nipples <laughs> X'd out with fucking masking tape and, Yay. you know, like all these incredible things, a candle fucking stuck on their head or whatever. Um, that all these people wanted to go to these clubs 
risk to watch them because they were like kind of getting famous in the like, you know, because the news would cover them and shit. And because we love people who are who don't give a fuck. Yeah. That's what a relief it is when you see a person like that. It's like, yeah, I don't care. You can't. There's nothing you can do. Like, well, that's, it's such a good feeling when you're around people. Yeah. who are All like, yeah, fuck it. I don't care. Well, Michael Musto from the fucking Village Voice talks a lot about how like in like before this, everyone was on their best behavior and wanted to look the coolest and be the coolest and just be like you know perfect that and then, preppy bullshit yeah and yeah. then fucking Michael came along and he would he was a dick kind of he'd pee in drinks and make people <laughs> drink it but that's not Woody the, the peer What's that guy's name? Maybe he. Maybe it's because he the pee, pee drinker. Yeah, maybe because he drank pee. <laughs> like all these things that he did, he was like kind of a dick. But everyone let it. Like he was like a child that nobody. There's one thing that I read about where he had a, he had a like he got hepatitis and made it into a party. Oh no! And like tried to kiss as many people as he could <laughs> to give. He was just like a, he was literally a party monster. Yeah, he was a true party monster. He just didn't care about anyone, and everyone loved that about him. There yeah. was no feeling like. He just was there to have a good time. Yep. As Vince says, I'm, we're here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, that da, da, guy. I mean, okay. So, so he did that scene. Okay. He would be there. He draw crowds to these venues and the club kids began holding. They also, a way to promote that these actual parties would be that they would have these, what now we know as flash mobs, oh. but then with guerrilla parties, guerrilla style parties, they, they called then outlaw parties. Oh. So they show the fuck up at a Dunkin' Donuts, like 200 <laughs> deep or a fucking Burger King and just take over and ruin this poor, these poor people who work there at night. Like for yeah, sure. For sure. And just have so much fun and party and put music on and shit. It's they went, did one in the subway and like, <gasps> it, and they do it until, you know, the cops would come, which was like their, their highlight of the night. And then they go to this club that was already ready for it. So it was just these like flash mobs in a way. So he loved all this attention he got. Okay. So there's a pee drinker. There was a woman who went on stage and gave herself a champagne enema. Great. <laughs> so healthy. Hepatitis. <laughs> Good for the flora and fauna in your gut. Don't try that at home. <laughs> It was just like these people. It just really seemed like uh, performance art for everyone, but in a club setting. Yeah. So in the beginning, Michael and the club kids didn't really fuck with drugs, as I said. Um, but then ecstasy came along. As Michael just explains it, it felt like a drug for people who didn't do drugs because it wasn't some like fucking cut, crazy, snorty drug. It was like pharmaceutical made in a lab and it made you feel spiritual. So it didn't feel like you were doing drugs which is the and i say this any chance i get the problem with pills is that you can tell yourself you're not a drug right. addict and you can just take a bunch of fucking pills and suddenly you're different but you can't tell because you didn't snort it and you didn't like it was my, it was my prescription it. it was prescribed yep. to me yeah and but then all of a sudden you're on the other side of pill behavior yeah not really knowing what's going on right <laughs> it's so dangerous yes 100 percent. and it's become so normalized now it's so normal really frightening yeah, it's it's horrible. Um, so Michael, of course, and his followers then begin using drugs heavily, which is what happens when you start taking drugs. Well, and when you party for a living. I mean, it's yeah. part of the reason when I was hospitalized for alcoholism, I tried to explain to the doctor, yeah. I'm like, I'm a comic. I'm in a club every night. Yeah. We all drink eight drinks a night. If I it's, don't stay and hang out and party with them, I won't get booked on shows. Yeah, it's part. It's like the yin yang of the whole lifestyle. But like, but when that's your lifestyle, yeah. you li then you're truly living it. And it's very hard on the system. It is definitely. 
So he began, so, so Michael, who's kind of in charge of these clubs, begins adding drug dealers to, you know, he's paying people to come to the clubs, like his friends who are club kids. He sure. adds drug dealers to the payroll, the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> of Michael, Peter, this guy, Peter Gation. He he's like, add this guy to the payroll, add that guy. So they're fucking drug dealers getting paid like an hourly rate to fucking be there which sure. is bananas well it's not at the, i might be wrong about this but at the hacienda weren't the doormen the drug dealers oh i don't know i feel like there was some kind of similar thing like that where it yeah. just became part of the business yeah which seems so normal yeah when you're like in it um so they become uh all addicted to drugs like coke for hypnol special k which of course is a fucking horse tranquilizer <laughs> And you can fall into a K-hole, oh, which means the ground goes away. It sounds away. like a nightmare. It sounds like, that's the thing, also those drugs, where you take one pill and then you're out Goodbye. of it for hours. Yeah. I hate that. When I used to go to raves in, when I was young, and it, this is like 95, so by, this is by the time anything hits Orange County, it's fucking played out. <laughs> so like, I was on the end cusp of this shit. But it wasn't in, in Orange, it was in Los Angeles, but... um yeah, man, there would just be people wandering around, you know, selling drugs like it was out and about. No one gave a shit. Yeah. Horse tranquilizers, everybody. Horse tranquilizers. Thank God I never tried those. And eventually, everyone's fucking favorite heroin. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So one of those club kids was one of these club kids who was just super into the scene was named Andre uh, Melendez and his name, his like club name was Angel. And that's because he wore these different kinds of ornate, beautiful angel wings. That was his thing. Mm. His like, uh, you know, what's it called? Look, he had immigrated f from Colombia to New York as a child and he lived in Queens. And like Michael, he had tried to make a name for himself and found the club kids a good place to do it. He, um, and he wanted to be accepted by Michael, especially, and the club kids. So to do so, he started dealing drugs as his ticket in. And mm. whenever it's, it's this thing of like, if you look a little deeper than the, the basic articles, it says like Michael, um, Alig, killed the drug dealer angel you know melinda's but it's like well he wasn't a drug dealer at first it wasn't just that he was like there to deal drugs he actually was a club kid who loved the scene loved the people he was part of it dealing drugs was his way to like to get people to like him yeah and to make a name for himself exactly yeah so he wasn't just a drug dealer um so he eventually uh got put on the limelight payroll as well and Angel idolized Michael, so he let him get away with a, a lot. And, of course, Michael took advantage of him like fucking crazy, including, like, stealing drugs from him. There was one account, according to James St. James, that during a snowstorm where they broke into Angel's stash and did three to $4,000 worth of Angel's drugs. <laughs> and James St. James was like, when, how are you going to tell Angel? And then Angel walks in and Michael's like, we did your drugs. Like, just <laughs> fuck you. Do something about it. I, I feel like I have four stories like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, too, is when you start to get into that very bizarre lifestyle, you just do things like you don't care anymore. Yeah, After yeah. a while, you just only care about getting high. I mean, it sounds like he was had some narcissistic tendencies to begin with. And then you put in drugs and fame and goodbye. You're yeah. fucking no. You don't give a shit. Yeah. 
you're like, it's me from the limelight. Yeah, you know, you can't get in here without me, yeah. which is true. Like he could fucking ban whoever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of control. Yes. So escalating drug use and overdoses and m- more cases of AIDS among the club kids mm. kind of starts. And then mayor fucking new mayor Rudy Giuliani's crackdown on nightlife in Boo. Manhattan starts to lead to the beginning of the end of the club kids. So in September 1995, hey, I was 15 and probably at a rave. Um, Limelight is raided by federal agents and shut down because they were using drugs so openly and rampantly. Like it was just this, you walk in and you get a bump of Coke. Like it's just everywhere. It's not a big deal to anyone. So sad I wasn't there. (laughs) So, so sad. Uh, All right. So Angel, who'd been working at the club, uh, he gets fired so he's pissed about that he thinks that um that he's owed money and on top of that by 1996 michael was a full-blown fucking junkie okay he's injecting heroin every day and as his addiction grows his demand for drugs from angel grows and angel just starts to get resentful and feels used Mm -hmm. and he couldn't get into limelight anymore and that pissed him off a lot too wait sorry angel or michael Angel couldn't get in anymore. Michael's living the fucking high life. Angel gets fired because of the drug raid and he's a drug dealer. Oh. Yeah. And so he's just pushed out. Yes. That sucks. Yes. But also, let me just say too, just the way this, uh, this trajectory is the story of all, all drug stories. Yep. It starts fun. As my mom used to say, it's going to end in tears. Yeah. You're laughing now, but it, this is going to end in tears. I mean, the difference in, the, I, I, I highly recommend people watching the shockumentary because. <laughs> Uh, you can see that from the videos in the beginning, uh, it's these bright eyed, bushy tailed, fucking cool, like, you know, smart kids who are like leading this incredible revolution. And by the end, it's like dark circles under their eyes and no one's smiling and it's yeah. just addicted to drugs. And that's what it, drugs do. It just like, it becomes about you go to parties because you need to get drugs, not because you, you are so happy to be around these people that are like-minded and, you know. Right. Cause you're not, it's not having, fun anymore. You're not having real experiences anymore. No. You're not like, Oh my God, I love dancing and it feels great right. to do this thing. You're just like drugs. Or even like, I want to be famous. It's like not that anymore either. It's yeah. just this negative thing. Yeah. Um, so around this time, Michael, uh, Alig, throws a themed party called blood feast (laughs) this is just an aside it's named after a horror movie that he had loved as a child that he had watched with his mother as a child (laughs) his mother was obsessed with watching horror movies and like watched them with him which also joe DeRosa's mom did love that (laughs) i talked to her about it once and she told me that she just wanted someone to watch with because she was scared so she put her four-year-old child next to her i do love it though when parents like get their kids into movies yeah. at a young age whatever style they like i don't care but so in the, in the movie uh blood feast uh this this dude kills people and dismembers his victims that's mm-hmm. what the fucking horror movie's about sounds like a real blood feast exactly and in the flyer for the event uh my favorite club kid jenny talia she's this like she just she just looks like she's what I wanted to be when I was that age. Sure. Yeah. She's holding a hammer to Michael's head and it looks like it's all bloody and gross. It's like this is going to be the gore party. Like they had these insane parties. This was sure. going to be the gore one. The phrase legs cut off is uh, all, like all these crazy phrases like that are on the flyer. And then I write all caps foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, got it. Got yes, it? Yes, I'm caps, seeing it. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. So, on Sunday, March 17th, 1996, Angel 
shows up at Michael and his roommate, Robert Riggs, who's known as Freeze, who mm. looks like the devil, kind of, but like the hot devil. So he had a goatee. Uh-huh. And Just a like, little trident. Yes. <laughs> and he and he like deviled ham. What's the guy's name? Remember the movie this is so random. Remember the movie Go? Yes. And the drug dealer from that movie. Yes. What's his name? Oh, Steven's got it. Uh, Timothy oh. Oliphant? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I've done it again. That was I've amazing. done it again. You're scaring Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but I've done it again. Timothy Oliphant also, I just recently watched The Girl Next Door, uh-huh. which when it came out real time, I was like, this is sexist and against women. It's one of the better movies I've ever seen. What? And Timothy Oliphant is so hot in it and he's playing this like kind of scummy guy whatever that shows up and he shows up at the at the boys high school and he's like in a cool car and he's just like this badass guy and these he's talking to these two girls and the boy comes out like what are you doing here and he turns to the boys uh-huh. lead the lead boy and goes hey you didn't tell me you had some real burners at this school and i laughed for so long the idea of calling hot girls burners uh-huh. Maybe that's just maybe that was just for me. You've got to see it. It's so good. He's so good. Okay. And then goes on to become the sheriff of fucking Deadwood. Right. N- calling no one burners. No, no. You but don't do loving that the widow. Okay. Also, watch the movie Go if you want. If you want to watch like what my life was kind of like at that time. <laughs> Go is a great movie. It's too. a really good movie, and, that, and that's what my life was kind of like. Uh. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Da, 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 da. Okay, so fucking Elephant's uh, nickname is Freeze, and he looks like the devil. Okay. Um, so they Michael and Freeze's apartment in Hell's Kitchen. Angel shows up at like nine in the morning, and of course, no, no, not one of them has slept the night before. Yeah. They've all been taking drugs all fucking night, and Angel oh, the grossest feeling. Ugh, about disgusting. Angel is pissed off, like trying to track down this money he's owed. He is like demanding this money. This, uh, this argument ensues between Michael and Angel and the com, it becomes violent and Angel, this is all according to Freeze and Michael. So, you know, please take, take this with however you feel like whatever. Like, no, nobody's, nobody's told Angel's side of the story because Angel's right. the only one that could have done yeah, it. Yeah. So, the, you know, take this with various levels of spice. Uh, he pins Michael. Michael cries out for help. So Freeze grabs a hammer. And hits Angel over the head with it three times. And sorry to ask this now, but this was after that that yes. blood and gore party. Yes. Ugh. Okay. Awful. I'm almost positive. Yeah. Um. Three times he gets disoriented, according to Freeze, but he's also still pissed off. So Freeze grabs him from behind, and it, and there's a lot of different stories, so it's kind of hard to tell which one they're fucking sticking with. Okay. And and Michael grabs either a pillow or a sweatshirt and puts it over Angel's face, and they smother him, and he, uh, he dies. Whoa. And then again. Depending on whose story, Michael takes a cleanser or a chemical or Drano or something, puts it down his fucking throat, and uses duct tape to duct tape his mouth shut. And I think he's already fucking dead. Then thank God. And Michael says that it later says it was because he wanted to cover up the smell. But it's hard to be. It's just like hard to know what really happened. Right. Yeah, I get that. Because that all fits in if you're gonna if you're gonna argue self defense. Right. You know. Exactly. 
So the, the two Breeze and Michael then strip Angel's body, place it in the bathtub and they put ice all over it and chemicals all over it to mask the smell. It stays there for five to seven days. Oh God. I know. Until Freeze purchases, uh, some chef's knife and a cleanser and a, cl- I'm sorry, a cleaver at Macy's. I don't know why that tidbit needed to stay in there, but I just found it kind of interesting. And in the Macy's home, home department. Yeah, like the person who sold them that was like, enjoy your dinner. And then it's like a a guy with a lightning bolt across his face. It's like, thanks so much. (laughs) With fucking heroin junkie (laughs) eyes and Needle hanging out of his arm. Thanks, I'm making salad. Tell your friend. (laughs) So Michael's like, okay, I'll take care of this. You have to get me 10 bags of heroin so I can get as fucked up as possible. I don't want to be fucking, you know, conscious for this shit. And then he's like, and I was kind of hoping I would die of a heroin overdose too. So, I mean, that's what he fucking says. But, uh, so he's on all this heroin. I bet he does though. Yeah. He's on all this heroin and he removes Angel's legs. (gasps) He cuts them fucking off just like the bloodbath movie. And... Or blood, what was it called? Blood feast. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, And he removes Angel's legs. He wraps them in garbage bags and then places them in a duffel bag. And then those are dumped in the Hudson River and they sink. But then the following day, they wrap the rest of Angel's body in a sheet and plastic garbage bag and they place it in a cardboard box. They take it down to a fucking waiting taxi, put it in the trunk. They drive to the West Side Highway uh, to Hudson River and uh, uh, by some instances get the cab driver to help them throw the box over like obviously the cab driver doesn't know what's in it yeah, right help him them throw the box over the side of the f- highway into, into the, the river, river. Of course, and then they watch as it doesn't sink and kind of just sails off and they're uh, like oh shit and, and on drugs and on drugs um, and Angel uh, when he was murdered was only 25 years old oh god so Michael Michael, whatever reason, can't fucking keep quiet about it. Maybe he's so horrified by what he's done. Maybe it doesn't seem real in his head because he's on drugs. Maybe he's fucking doesn't think it's a big deal. Like, who knows why? Um, Or maybe he wants to get caught. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, But he doesn't keep quiet. And he tells people about it. And rumors start flying. And in the scene, everyone kind of knows what happened. Although they're like, that's that sounds too outlandish about the Drano and shit. But it all ends up being true. And uh, so it becomes an open secret in the club community. And but everyone's loyal as fuck to Michael and no one tells the police. Mm. So Angel's brother, Johnny, starts to get worried when he doesn't hear from his brother. And of course, they only had pagers back then. So right. he's not answering his fucking page. And he finally is like goes to clubs to try to f- track down his brother and can't find him. The police, he says, barely bothered to fill out a missing persons report and didn't really g- give a shit. So he had to fucking start investigating on his own. Post flyers all over the city of Angel, a photo of Angel with his angel wings and everything, trying to find his brother. He breaks down in the fucking documentary, uh, documentary, documentary, and it's really fucking sad. I bet. Yeah. So he spends the next few months. Okay. So Michael spends the next few months high as fuck, traveling in and out of the city. He's still throwing parties, but people aren't really going to them. And uh, meanwhile, with the help of the media, Johnny's able to get Angel's disappearance uh, out, and like it becomes front page news articles in the New York Magazine and the New York Post, which is like the best magazine for shit like this. Michael Musto 
post a blind item in the village voice that's basically like club kid who which club kid murdered like talks about it no he's horrified wow yeah so well that's the best way to deal with a murder absolutely just to gossip put a blind item in a newspaper just gossip it away Mm -hmm. so okay so in a month after the murder in march 1996 so there's a tropical storm which makes all everything wash up onto shore and a group of children at a beach at Miller Field in Stanton Island discover a box containing the dismembered remains, which eight months later are linked to Angel. Wow. It took eight months because he was misidentified as an Asian male by uh, the morgue. Can I just ask really quick? Did you mean Staten Island? What did I say? Stanton Island. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Stanton Island. Stanton Island. <laughs> God. I was like, now I don't want to act like I'm some expert about the burrows or anything. <laughs> what is that? How did my brain do that? But you're trying to explain something. I am. Um, wow. Okay. But you're saying that the remains were found and then eight months later he was identified. Yes. But it wasn't eight, like, eight months no, a month later he's found. Okay. And then eight months later, like another body washes up and a cop who actually was involved in Angel's case puts it together that, you know, it all gets put together. Got it, got it. Um, but it's partly because the, the, the boroughs didn't communicate with each other, of course, but also he was misidentified as an Asian male. Okay. Whatever. Right. So with the final, with finally with identification, police are now involved. This whole time Michael hadn't been questioned once about the disappearance, despite the rumors. Um, he had fled to New Jersey at this point where you can't get away in New Jersey. No. Nine months after the murder of Angel, Michael Alig is arrested on December 5th, 1996 and Freeze is arrested the same day. Wow. And Freeze just fucking talks immediately. They both just like, that's yeah. so Freeze. <laughs> so Freeze. So Alig insisted to the police that he and Freeze had killed Angel in self-defense and disposed of the body in a panic. Uh, and he had photos of bruises that he had on him after the fight, too. So he, he was not high. He was not so high that he couldn't take pictures of his own bruises. He couldn't for, go to a lawyer and get pictures taken two weeks after the or like a week after. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So prosecutors, so here's just like weird things. Prosecutors were hesitant to charge Michael with first degree murder because they hoped he would testify against his former boss, Peter Gation, who they had arrested for allowing drugs to be sold in his nightclub. So the fucking DA or the feds want to get this guy, Peter Gation, on all these fucking drug charges. So they don't want to like throw the book at Michael because they need him to be a fucking credible witness. And if he's a fucking first degree murderer, they can't put him on the stand and and they don't prioritize the murder as a worse crime than selling drugs in clubs. They don't. Wow. So they eventually offer Michael and Freeze a plea deal, a sentence of 10 to 20 years if they accept the lesser charge of manslaughter, which they do. Hmm. Side note, Peter Gation, tra- charges are all eventually dropped. Yeah. So it didn't fucking matter anyways. Because he's a big rich guy, right? Well, because they couldn't prove anything. At that point, so they could have fucking charged him. I don't know. But also, you know, who knows? Which guy? Who knows what happened? On October 1st, 1997, they both plead guilty and sentenced to to 10 to 20 years. Freeze is released after 13 years in 2010. Uh, Michael becomes eligible for parole in October 2006. But he claims that 
uh, the parole board watched the movie Party Monster that had been made in 2003, which portrayed him very poorly. Yes. And decided to keep him in after watching it. Oh. Yeah. So he's, he serves, eventually serves 17 years and re- released on May 5th, 2014. Um, and regarding the 2003 movie Party Monster, whichever one you watch, it's fucking good. It's really good. Uh, Wait, is Sean Green the other person yes, in that movie? Yes, and Chloe Sevigny is in it as well. Uh, Sean Green is, I just for four minutes watched, um, Gold, gold Seth member. Green. Seth Green. Sorry, oh shit, Seth Green. Sean Green is a stand-up comic I know, oh. who's very funny. Um, <laughs> Seth Green, I watched a little bit of Gold Member, Austin Powers uh-huh. and Gold Member the other day, purely because of how fucking funny that guy is. Yeah. And he has been, I think he might also be in Go. Yes, he is. He is. He is. Right, Stephen? Um, <laughs> back me up, goddammit, Stephen. Why won't you? He, no. He is. I think he is. I or I might be thinking of Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, I think he Anyway. Because he plays like a raver kid, club kid in that movie. Oh, is that what is I'm he? doing? Oh. Yeah, he's not in Go. Yes. Fuck you both. <laughs> take your, <laughs> you take your pure and you shove it up your ass, Karen. I haven't done it again. <laughs> Shit. But anyway, that guy's, I feel like he has been a massive talent since he's like five years old. Yeah. He is so talented yeah. and continues to be with... Fucking robot chicken. Robot. Ch- I was gonna call it freeway chicken. <laughs> Good night, Grandma. <laughs> Seth Green, everyone. Seth Green, everybody. Um. Okay. So the mar- the movie. Po- pe- where are we? Putin. Poo poo. poo. Party monster is based on the 1999 memoir Disco Bloodbath by none other than James St. James. <gasps> yeah. This is how we do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So Michael Alec is now 52 years old. He says he doesn't like the way he's portrayed in the movie because uh, it's, he says it's one dimensional. So Angel, who's played by Wilson Cruz. From My So-Called Life. Right. He, he, <laughs> it turns him into a minor side character. Yes. Um, if Angel Melendez hadn't been murdered, he would be 57 years old right now. Mm. And that's the party monster murder of Angel Melendez. God, that's so, I mean, the fact that like he's, Michael Alig, 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 Alig. Yeah, he served his time. Like that's a per- that's so rarely happens where it's a famous murder. Yeah, where the person gets goes to jail, serves their time, and comes back out, and then like is able to speak again. Yeah, it's really it's hard to track down exactly what he's up to now. Like it seems like he's got all you know trying trying a bunch of other you know fashion line and art and like maybe trying to still do club promotions. And right. It's just like hard to track it down, but. I mean, yeah, and it's hard to kind of know how to feel because it was this, you know, when you talk about a time like that, it's all so surreal and and the behavior is so surreal. And then the drug element makes it all very kind of like, uh, yeah, there's a kooky element to it. But at the end of the day, there's, there's a really tragic murder. And then just again, we've talked about this a bunch of times, but like when people have to dismember or they're able to dismember human beings, I just, it's such a, it's so far beyond anywhere I even want to think about being. Totally. It's just nightmarish to me. Totally. Yeah, it is really sad. And then you think of all the club kids now and like looking back and being like, we were just fucking, we just like went off the deep end. This could have been this great movement of, you know, and it did like it, it influenced so many people now, like l- fucking Lady Gaga. She wouldn't exist without 
this club kid movement and sure they talk about like Marilyn Manson was like directly influenced by you know all this shit yeah Georgia Hardstark wouldn't have worn fucking vinyl <laughs> pants and stacked shoes that's right to raves if it hadn't been for this so I tried to wear stacked shoes one time and I I can still feel myself going down on the sidewalk oh in San Francisco Your like ankle. walking walking home from a bar and just you take one weird step on mine were Mary Janes and my friend would call me a little Frankenstein when I wore them because that's exactly what I looked like <laughs> totally. and you take one wrong move in oh. those things and you're just you're down your ankle goes out from underneath you you land on your whatever this bone is and you look like a stupid fucking idiot you look too. like a goddamn goon Ugh, so that's that well that was good Thank you. <clears throat> um, it's, I'm surprised we haven't done that one yet. That one is such a, it's so infamous and kind of like its own little world. Well, I didn't realize how I, I, I thought about it a long time ago, but I didn't realize how like, how I, it just seems so hard to wrap my head around and like express exactly what the time and place was like. But then my friend Crystal Langham, thank you, uh, reminded Crystal. me of it. And, and so I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's a good one. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com Goodbye Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City Go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda You never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today Your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line well mine this week comes because i I drove up to petaluma to be there for my my old sister laura's 50th birthday (laughs) laura and uh so uh, she ended up having a birthday week, which is kind of hmm. hilarious. You're allowed because, to do that when you're turning 50. Yeah, I think it was big. So she had like a dinner at my dad's house and then I drove up and then we went to um, the Twin Oaks, which is this rad bar between Petaluma and Sebastopol. And that's like used to be old and scary. And it was like kind of a locals only just don't go in there. Mm-hmm. And now they've redone it. And it's really awesome. And they have really good bands. The band that played there that night was really good anyway. Mm-hmm. I love driving to Petaluma because I love anytime I get to leave Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and the time I spend on the five between LA and Petaluma is so soothing because it's just like 
you know, sometimes I talk to you on the phone a bunch, make some phone calls, fall asleep for a little while, get <laughs> just zone out, smell all the smells that uh-huh. are out there to be smelled. Um, every different type of livestock shit you would uh, like to smell is there for you to smell. You, you go to yourself. I should be vegetarian. Yeah. Every time you drive that drive. That's right. And then if you're on the 99, you might hit a patch of rose, rose smells. Mm. You might hit a patch of un- really strong onion smell. It's really, mm. it's an exciting way to live. All your olfactory senses <laughs> are being triggered. Do you like smells that you can't <laughs> control? So anyway, but my newest thing is, um, on both the way up and the way back, I was just binge listening once again to Criminal with Phoebe Judge. <laughs> and I just love that show so much. But there was one that, uh, one episode and it, um, is, it inspired this week's, uh, this week's murder for me. Um, because it's the story and, and, um, hearing it this, the way Phoebe Judge told it, it's all from the point of view of the wife, Melinda Elkins. But we've seen it as a, um, as a forensic files and I think an American justice. And it's the story of Clarence Elkins. <clears throat> I don't remember this one yet. Okay. So let me tell you all about it. Tell me. June 7th, 1998. I'm going to buzz in when I know what you're talking about. Okay. Great. Stephen, can you, are you picking up that buzz slap? Sounds good. Great. June 7th, 1998. It's a, uh, in Barberton, Ohio. So it's, this is a suburb of Akron, Ohio. Okay. Okay. On the morning of June 7th, uh, 1998, a woman named Melinda Elkins, she's puttering around the house and her son comes running into the house saying there are police outside in SWAT gear running out of the woods and at their house. Can you picture that? people i mean first of all just the, the the boy outside i'm not sure how old he was but i like to think he was eight and um, because that would be the most impact if yeah. you're standing in your yard like throwing something against a wall board and you look over and just a swat team yeah. comes running out of the woods mommy mommy there's there's a swat team there's he a, knows SWAT what team. a swat team um yeah exactly he knows all the terminology mm-hmm. so melinda goes running out of her house and going what's going on and they tell her that her 58-year-old mother, Judith Johnson, has been stabbed to death. <gasps> and that her six-year-old niece, Brooke, who was staying the night at her grandma's, Judith's, um, was raped, beaten, and left for dead. Oh, my God. And as Melinda is trying to take in this information, she looks over the cop's shoulder who's talking to her and sees her husband, Clarence Elkins, getting handcuffed <gasps> and stuffed into the back of a cop car. Oh no. And this is when she learns that her niece, Brooke, her six year old niece, who was horribly attacked, identified her, um, uncle, Clarence, who is Melinda's husband, as the murderer. So. Can I do a light tap? This sounds familiar. Mm hmm. Okay. Um, okay. So what happened was, uh, Judy and Brooke were attacked they think somewhere between two thirty and five thirty in the morning, um, at Judy's home, uh, she, Judy was beaten so badly that initially the authorities thought that she'd been stabbed to death. Um, but it just, that it was just, she was beaten with a blunt instrument so badly Ugh. that, and the, the wounds were so deep that they thought they were knife wounds. Oh my God. Uh, she was also raped and sodomized and, um, Brooke, the six year old, heard something going on so she ran out to see and saw her grandmother 
lying dead. She ran back into the room she was staying, got into bed to hide. The man came in to the room and began to beat her. Um, She passed out. Then she was raped. um, And then she was left for dead and beaten and left for dead. She woke up around seven in the morning um, and she called a family friend and she left a message on that person's answering machine saying, I'm sorry to tell you this, but my grandma died and I need somebody to get my mom for me. I'm all alone. Somebody killed my grandma. Now, please, would you get a hold of me as soon as you can? Bye. Oh. Can you imagine getting that answering machine no. message? It's so haunting. Um, and then she walks next door to the next door neighbors in her bloody nightgown and knocks on the next-door neighbor's door and asks for help. A woman named Tanya Brazel answers the door, and uh, she lived there with her common-law husband, her old man, and their children, and Tanya tells Brooke that she's making breakfast for her kids, but if she'll just wait on the porch, um, she'll help her. 45 minutes later... Wait, what? She drives Brooke home. Yes. <laughs> just like... Just dog ear that. So Brooke's mother, April, is Melinda Elkin's sister. So Clarence is, this is basically Clarence's sister-in-law, April, and his niece, okay. Brooke. Got it. Um, and it's Melinda's sister. So they have different last names now because they're yeah. both married. But it, Melinda and Brooke, um, Melinda, sorry, and April are sisters. Okay. So on the way home, Brooke tells this woman, Tanya, the neighbor, um, that the man who attacked her and killed her grandmother looked like her uncle Clarence. Uh-uh. And so when they arrive at April's house, Tanya tells April that it, Brooke had said it was her uncle Clarence uh-uh. who attacked her. So when Melinda is told all this by the authorities, she knows that it's impossible. Yeah. Because on the evening of the attack, Clarence was at home. He went outside. He built a bonfire in the yard. And then he decided he was going to go out with friends to some local bars. So he was out drinking with his friends till 2.30 in the morning. And she knows for sure that he came home at 2.30 in the morning because their son was sick and she was up with him. And so when he came in, she was up and they talked and uh, then Clarence went to bed at three in the morning and and Melinda stayed up pretty much for the rest of the night with their sick child. Yeah. And so she told the police, there's no way he could have left again without me knowing. Right. And he certainly couldn't have driven the one hour trip to my mom's house and then driven one yeah. hour back and been gone for over two hours without me noticing because I was up all night and I would have noticed that he was gone. And when people build a bonfire on the night of a murder... Um, it's just, it has to be bad luck if you didn't do it. It's for real. It's <laughs> we're straight at the making a murderer. I hear a bonfire. I'm like, they did it. Yeah. It's not, but it's the problem is out in the, if you yeah. live out in the country, which I'm assuming I don't know the suburbs of Akron well enough, mm-hmm. but b- building a bonfire is just like, oh yeah, go, go burn that shit or just something like, cause there's nothing else to do. Just, just go stand around a fire yeah. and drink beer. Yeah. Like it's kind it's pretty common. Okay. We also used to do it at my friend Broadford's house. He got this, he somehow fashioned a burn barrel mm. where we would bring like, like old checkbooks that you didn't need anymore. Things oh, that like you shredder, it, like a shredder, but you could just burn it. And someone once brought, <laughs> someone's once brought the box that they're huge, 
Ma- new Mac um, like desk monitor came in. Uh-huh. So it was like a four foot cardboard <laughs> cardboard box uh-huh. and it they put it in the barrel and it went up and the flames went so high that the fire department <gasps> ended up coming to his house and being like, you guys, you're in Hollywood. Like you Wait, can't. This was in Hollywood? Yes, this was in the backyard of like a duplex right off of Highland. Oh my God. And the, God. the fire department's like, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> like, this isn't fucking the yeah. sticks. Okay. We're like, we're just trying to enjoy ourselves. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Don't be a bummer, man. In defense of bonfires. Okay. So... This is the other thing. Melinda has known her husband since she was young. They got married when they were 18 years old. And she's just like, this is not, he is not this person. It's, he is not the person. He's not going to snap. He's never been an abusive person. He's not like that in any way. So all of a sudden him and, and even though she says they did not have an ideal marriage, they did fight and she would go over to her mom's house and spend the night. That happened, you know, often. She said it wasn't ideal, but, that it was just like any other marriage where that does happen. Mm-hmm. And she said her mom, although sometimes being disappointed in Clarence, loved him and Clarence loved her mom. There, there was no ill feeling between them. And so she's like, there's, she just knew in her heart this, it wasn't him. Yeah. Um, uh, and then also, all of his movements were accounted for that night because he was either at home where she knew he was, or he was at bars around their town mm-hmm. where all, all kinds of people swore that they saw him and yeah. knew he was there. Um, and then he was back at home with her. Um, uh, so when police and then police, the police came and searched Melinda and Clarence's home hours after the attack and they found no blood evidence anywhere in the house. And due to the extreme nature, like I was saying, of Judy's wounds yeah. um, and and of Brooks, there was no way that that perpetrator didn't have blood all over him totally. and all over his clothes. And probably in the car, every, like there's... Everywhere. Yeah. So they would have found at least something somewhere sure. and there was not a trace. Um in fact, the authorities said the amount of blood would have actually been staggering because of how bad it was at Judy Johnson's Jesus. house. Um, but that didn't matter because um, there was an eyewitness to the crime, and that was Brooke, who said um, it someone who looked like her uncle Clarence. And that's, I think, also it's you know we've heard about this in, in other similar types of cases, mm-hmm. but I feel like if I was uh, somebody who had to take a statement from a six-year-old who uh, had been raped and beaten yeah, and grandma, left for dead. I mean, traumatized beyond belief. You, If she tells you she saw the person, you believe her. Yes. And you want to make give her justice yeah. and make this but end. The, but the phrase, he looks like my Uncle Clarence, doesn't, it means he was that tall. He was the same build. He had the same hair voice. It's what, what it reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah. Especially from a small child who like doesn't, can't explain a person. It's like, this is the closest I can explain. Exactly. Ugh. Right. Um, right. But by the time it got to her taking a statement, her talking to the police, um, it had become, it was my uncle Clarence. Right. Um, and, even though there was no physical evidence in any way linking Clarence Elkins to the scene of the crime, mm-hmm. um, he was charged with aggravated mur- murder, aggravated attempted murder, rape, and felonious assault. Um, so five days after uh, Judy and Brooks' um, attack, 
Melinda and her sister April bury their mother. Mm. They hold hands during the funeral. Then they leave and they don't speak for three and a half years. Because you have to think about this is now your sister's husband killed your mother and raped and attacked your daughter, your child. Oh, my God. And then on the other side of that, um, from Melinda's side, so that's April's side, Melinda's side of it, your husband is accused of killing your mother. Your mother's still dead. And being a child rapist. And yeah, to your own niece, who you love as probably as much as your own kids. So everybody loses terribly in this scenario from the get-go. I'm trying to like picture that, but it's like these two women like need each other. Right. But I mean, like how could... and it's your yeah it's your sister yeah um but this is like it's a circumstance that's just beyond anyone's totally. anyone's dealing um so at the trial um it began may 20th 1999 it was in akron and brooke is now seven years old she testifies that she saw her uncle clarence killing her grandma um the defense attorney argues the phone message that Brooke left in the morning of the attack says somebody killed her grandma. Mm-hmm. Then this somebody had turned into somebody who looked like Uncle Clarence. And then that eventually became it was Uncle Clarence. Yeah. But because Brooke's eyewitness testimony is the only evidence presented because there it's the only evidence there is. Really? At the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because all the blood evidence, there's no, they don't have, uh, yeah, they didn't, DNA wasn't where, where it eventually becomes. And so it's just, that's the only evidence that the prosecution presents. And so that's the only argument the defense can make. And, uh, so the, the jury, um, oh, and, and when Melinda, it goes on the stand to say, no, no, Mm -hmm. he was home with me. And then he was out with his friends and he came back Mm -hmm. home. She tells her story. The prosecution basically makes her look like, a stupid hick mm. who's just lying and standing by her man yeah. and they humiliate her on the stand <gasps> and basically make it seem like, well, you're just doing this for your you're husband. You're not credible. Yeah. Yeah. So the jury deliberates for three days and on June 3rd, 1999, they find Clarence Elkins guilty of murder, two counts of rape and two counts of assault. And he's given two life sentences. Wow. So when the trial ends, the prosecutor, um, turns and looks at Melinda Elkins and says, you're not going to see your husband for 54 years. And she looks back at him and says, you want to bet? Cause now, cause she knows now uh-huh. that this is the, that he's been railroaded. What a dick. Pro- Can I just say like, that's unnecessary, <clears throat> dude. You just sent him away. You don't need to fucking say something like that. But you have to think they think it's a child rapist yeah. and a murderer that they're sending away. Yeah. They think, they think that they're doing, but she didn't do that. Yeah, but they're, you know, it's just that thing of like, they've cast everybody and they need to see people in this way because it's what happened. And it's so awful. I mean, like a living child that's there to say this horrible thing happened to me is like, that's going to turn everybody. It's going to get things extreme. But Melinda knows and Melinda with with the weight of the world on her shoulders and this is i'm you know all of this part of the story is because melinda tells her story Ugh. on criminal yeah with phoebe judge <laughs> which by the way i thought of this joke where i can't wait to f- f- somehow someday and maybe you'll be there for it get like a bill at a restaurant that's really expensive mm-hmm. and i'm gonna go i'm phoebe judge and this is criminal oh. <laughs> 
and I might stand up when I do. Oh it. my god! Just saying, I love it. That that hit me as I was driving. I'm like, that's gonna be so funny. I didn't do the voice well enough that, that then, but or I'm like, just saying. What do you think I am, Phoebe Judge? Because this is criminal. Because this, because who I'm do you Phoebe think judge? I? You think I'm Phoebe fucking Judge? Because <laughs> this is crazy, you know. <laughs> Like Phoebe Judge start, suddenly starts talking like that. Yeah. Instead of just like this. You think like I'm this, Phoebe fucking Judge? What do you think I am, Phoebe Judge? Because this is criminal. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, shout out to Phoebe Judge. Oh everybody. my God. Yes. Uh, so, Maybe. but but that episode of Criminal, Melinda gets to tell her own story, and Melinda basically is one of those women that I really love and adore. Who sh- the shit is on her, the weight of the world is on her shoulders, and she's like, "Now nah, I got to get busy. I got to start mm-hmm. doing something." And so what she does is she starts looking up who all the sex offenders in the mm-hmm. area were at the time of this attack. That seems like something the cops should have done, right? But the cops just, but the cops yes. had their guy, and they did their job. And they went, that's it. Yeah. And she was like, well, I got to be the cop now because no one's going to work on this. I'm the daddy in this situation. I think as a baby, I'm the daddy in this situation. That's fucking right. Um, so Merch yes. to come. Melinda stepped up and was the daddy in the situation because she not only wants to exonerate her husband, who she knows is not guilty, yeah. and is going to jail for 54 years. But she also wants real justice for her mother, her murdered mother, and for her niece. Knowing that there is a fucking psychopath like that out there, like, you got it. Fuck, like, your husband's in jail, whatever. Like, fucking go put this person away. And that feeling, which is also why this would be such a great movie. She's the only one who knows that there's a fucking child rapist murderer (sighs) out there still. Scary. And if she doesn't do anything, it's, you know, he'll do it again. Yeah. So... What she does is she gets this list of the sex sex offenders in the area mm-hmm. and she starts to track them down <gasps> and find out where they hang out. She's dog the fucking bounty hunter. Yeah. And then she dresses up in sexy clothes and goes to their <gasps> bars that they like to hang out in and flirts with them no. and gets in their proximity so that she can take their <gasps> beer bottles, put them in plastic bags. Uh, and run out what like she, basically the story she tells on criminal with Phoebe judge is that she would flirt with them they'd get a beer at some point the guy would get up to go to the bathroom or go somewhere else and she'd grab the fucking evidence put it in a plastic Ugh. bag and run to her car and like peel out and drive away fucking bitch is Sherlock Holmes she is and she puts the shit in her freezer she said she had to tell her sons what she was doing oh my because God. her freezer slowly became filled with these pieces of evidence that she knew if she saved them, she would have them to eventually test against the DNA they they collected at the crime scene. Yeah. Um, and she knew that's it, she had to do something, and that's what she figured out to do, which is fucking genius. Yeah. So she does this multiple times, puts herself in incredible danger, and it, all police and authorities say, do not do field work. Uh, yeah. Do not do field yeah. work if you're this person. But Melinda's case was special because she really was, she was all the only alone. one doing it. Yeah. What she then she um, she gets a new defense team for Clarence, um, and because it's and it I'm sure wasn't that hard to do because there's no physical evidence right. against him, right. and so she hires uh, someone named. Martin Yant, um, and the two of them start working on the, on this list of potential suspects. And, um, while they do that, they find a video and it's a video of, I think 
from what I remember, I think it was like a family wedding. But Melinda sees her mother in the video and she sees a young man that's kind of around her mother. He's like standing near her a lot, looking at her, trying to talk to her and just kind of like around. Creeping. And she, yeah, she gets serious creeps <gasps> because his behavior is so odd because this guy's 27 and her mother is in her, her late 50s. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but he looks a lot like Clarence. Mm-mm. Uh-huh. So, um, she, uh, they base, they find that he, they track him down. He's living in the area. Um, and Melinda starts to, she knows that her mother told him to leave her alone. That basically said, I'm old enough to be your mother. What are you doing? Um, so Melinda's like, that's motive right there. Sure. Um, so, uh, Basically, he gets questioned, but he's cooperative. He answers all the questions and he volunteers to give DNA. Uh-uh. Um, so m- while all this is happening, um, Martin Yant, um, tells Melinda, you should really try to, you should really get your sister, like try to communicate with your sister again. Yeah. Because if she can just see, how clear it is that Clarence didn't do this and that there, the evidence really is yeah. in his favor. Maybe she can like, it, it'll heal some really, really deep, awful wounds. And you guys can like, you need each other. Yeah. You, you can't do this by yourself. And so Melinda called her sister mm. and basically all, that's all it took. And mm. she basically said, she basically said that, you know, like if you would just yeah. look at these facts. Um, but also by this point, Brooke was 10 years old mm-hmm. and Brooke was starting to say, you know, they, I was saying what they wanted me to say. Mm-hmm. And, um, as they were, as they were one day looking through, I think it was a photo album. I can't remember what happened, but Brooke looked down and said, um, or maybe it was a picture of this suspect. And um, Brooke said, well, it couldn't have been him because his eyes are blue. And it couldn't have been Uncle Clarence because his eyes are blue. And the man who attacked us, his eyes were brown. Mm. And like, that's when she's starting as a child mm-hmm. who, you know, is now a little, has a little breathing room and is a little far away from it is going. Yeah. Now that I remember it, that that wasn't like that's not accurate yeah um so when uh they show brooke a picture of this 27 year old man her face drops and like it she looks terrified and both april and melinda are convinced that they found their guy uh. but when the dna test comes back um in 2001 uh it's not a match Hmm. And they can't believe it. They mm-hmm. thought it was like the perfect thing. But the good news is that they also tested D- Clarence Elkins DNA against this DNA that they were testing, which was um, the samples that were found in both Judy and Brooks underwear. Mm. And those samples matched. It was one DNA. Um, what do they call that? Um, when the person gives it to one DNA. Um well, sample, but yeah, yeah, but it profile. Yes, right. It's a single profile yeah. in both, so they know it's that that's the guy. Um, but it's not this young guy that was flirting with the mother. But it's also not Clarence Elkins. Yes, yeah. and so they Brooke officially recants her <gasps> testimony in a recorded deposition, and in Jan- January two thousand two, they 
put in a request for a new trial and they're denied. What? But Melinda's not deterred. In 2004, with the help of the Innocence Project, a, a judge agrees to further DNA tests um, with biological matter from vaginal swabs that were taken from both victims or from Judy Johnson and fingernail swabs. Swabs. Or, or yeah, fingernail residue um, from Brooke. And because before only the hair was tested. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so the only caveat in that the judge said that the family has to pay for it and it costs $40,000. Holy shit. So Melinda's like, we have to do this and we have to get it done. They don't have money like that yeah. in any way. But her and her sons decide they're going to start a website, a fundraising website called Free Clarence Elkins. And they just put all the information about, oh my God. about everything that we've talked about so far on the website. And they start raising money. They end up raising the money. Oh my God. Over $40,000. They get the evidence tested. The tests reveal it's all that same DNA profile again. It's not Clarence. They request again, they request another retrial. Um, they're denied again. I know. Yeah. Because he, he was convicted on the eyewitness testimony, right, not, not on DNA. DNA evidence. But the DNA is proving that the eyewitness testimony is wrong. Right. Um, so now it's 2005. Melinda's at home reading the newspaper. And on the front page, she reads a story about a couple, uh, in her mom's town who are arrested for raping their own children. Mm. And as she reads it, she sees the name Tanya Brazel mm-hmm. and Earl Mann. Mm-hmm. And that was Judy Johnson's neighbors mm-hmm. that Brooke walked over mm-hmm. to their house the morning um, after she woke up from the attack and asked for help. And Tanya said, you wait on the porch while I make my kids breakfast. What a fucking cunt. And of course, electric charges yeah. run up and down Melinda's spine because she knows yeah. this is it. Um, so it turns out that and and again uh, if anyone forgot tanya is the one who told april right. when they got to the house she that said it was she uncle. said it was her uncle not that it looked like right. her uncle but that it was her uncle um so it turns out earl mann who was tanya's common law husband was a convicted sex offender who'd gone missing from his halfway house five days before the rapes what? and the murder of judy johnson um so now Melinda is on fire with the Lord. Sure. She's like, we know it's this guy. Yeah. Um, she looks it up. She finds out Earl Mann is serving time in jail in the same <gasps> jail that Clarence Elkins is serving oh time my in. Gosh. She goes to the prison to visit Clarence and she says, you, she, oh, first she starts, she tries to write letters to Earl Mann so that she can get a letter back. Yeah. yeah like yeah. a flirty letter in a uh, different name, um, thinking he'll send a letter back and she'll, she'll have the DNA on yeah, the envelope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. He never responds. Okay. So she goes and visits Clarence in jail and says, you have to get a DNA sample. She yes. says, do you know a guy named Earl Mann? And Clar- Clarence says, yeah, he's sitting right over there. <laughs> and Melinda looks over. It's in, he's in the, the, what are you meeting room visitors room yeah yeah and so she he's blocked so she gets up and walks over to the vending machine so she can see his face <gasps> and she knows she's looking at the murder her her mother's murderer and her niece's rapist uh. and 
as she's walking and she makes eye contact with him, she realizes that she can't betray anything on her face because he may have seen her on the news right? Uh, as the wife. And he must know yeah. that Clarence Elkins, who Clarence Elkins yeah. is and why he's in that jail. So she smiles at him. Ugh. Like just... Oh, I'm just making yeah. eye contact with somebody. Her telling that story on criminals pretty amazing. Um, cause she just realized it's just a woman who is coping, coping, coping and making shit work so that she can get like ha- get to this end goal. Yeah. It's incredible. The strength she must fucking have. Um, so basically she says the best thing you could do is get a cigarette butt from him. It'll leave the most on there. Mm-hmm. You have to pick it up with a Kleenex, make sure you don't contaminate it. And you're the only person that can do this. So basically Clarence Elkins goes to, uh, uh, he sees Earl man, smoke a cigarette and put it out in an, a clean ashtray mm-hmm. out in the yard. And he goes over with a piece of Kleenex in his hand and picks up the cigarette butt and has to hide it in a Bible for two weeks mm. before he can send it to his lawyer. So he finally is able to send that uh, evidence to the lawyer and they test the cigarette butt. They send it off for testing. It's a match to the DNA that's found on Judy and Brooke's underwear. Mm-hmm. So on December 15th, uh, 2005 the lawyers petition again only this time the district attorney calls for the immediate release and acquittal of Clarence Elkins oh he has been in jail for six and a half years Jesus. and he on the same day that they call for it Clarence Elkins walks out of prison <gasps> now this is the heartbreaker to me even though it's of all this story is so awful yeah. A y- less than a year later, Clarence and Melinda file for divorce. Mm. And when I heard that part, I was just like, Wait. this fucking woman yeah. t- bent over backwards for you. I feel like, look, you don't think it could have been her. That she it, could, just- it could have been anything. It could have been anything. All I'm saying is someone gets you the fuck out of yeah. jail. Yeah. You do anything. Maybe for you them. give up some of your bullshit. Yeah. Maybe you, maybe, but you know, but I think like maybe she was, st- still over it you know like maybe she didn't do it because it was her husband that she was in love with maybe she just did it because this person she's known since 18 years old and like and she knew it was wrong and it knew it was wrong so and like, it was her mother she, it wasn't like she was like i gotta get my husband back so he can fucking cook me breakfast all the time because no. i got him out of prison like no i know i just feel like d- the effort she put in and she just didn't give up and yeah. she there was you know in this the, again why this would be an amazing movie there were reasons for her to give up about five different yeah. times and she just didn't do it. Totally. It's amazing. But yeah, I, I don't want anybody to be in an unhappy marriage. Um, yes, you do. <laughs> it sounds like you do. Uh, if I can't be happy, no one should. Um, here's what's cool. Melinda Elkins Dawson is her new name. Mm-hmm. Uh, was instrumental in getting Ohio to pass Senate Bill 262, which is also known as the post-conviction DNA law. Mm. And that means that there need to be provisions for DNA testing post-conviction, um, which if the outcome right. could change, uh, could change the determ, it says determinative outlines. I'm not, I'm trying to short. I'm trying to shorten something that I can't even explain. You're a lawyer. But ex- <laughs> but then also Clarence Elkins was instrumental in getting Ohio to pass Senate Bill 77, which is also known as Ohio's Innocence Protection Act, mm-hmm. 
which requires police to follow best practices mm. for eyewitness identifications and provide incentives for the videotaping of interrogations. Yeah, dude. Right. And requires DNA be preserved in homicide and sexual assault cases. Because, yes. you know, sometimes they go, oh, we don't have any of the DNA. Right. Left. It's solved. We can throw this or like he got convicted. We can throw this out. Yeah. So both of them, Melinda and Clarence, kicked ass and actually got the law changed so that this, to prevent this from happening to people in the future and to basically adapt. It's like our legal system in, especially in that time, really needed to update itself because it's like, if you have this science, you, that, you can't say we never go back and test anything because there's innocent people in jail. Yeah. And the science is always, you know, getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we know that now know that witness testimony, eyewitness testimony is just not reliable at all. Right. And that their pl- the police procedure. Right. Th- there are times where there is no the coercion was just the beginning of it. I, I mean, mean it's not even like purposeful coercion. It's just wanting to understand. And, you know, it just becomes something else, especially when you're interrogating a young child. Right. Well, right. There's the two parts where there are, there are the people who are like, we'll just beat it out of you. We'll yeah. keep you here for 14 hours and then you'll say whatever we want. Yeah. There's that part that that has to end. But then there is that thing of, uh, wh- whose job it is to talk to a six-year-old who has mm-hmm. to tell you a story like that and the the human impact of that and what you would then want done yeah. to the person you think did that to her. Sure. How do you not, yep. you know, go a little bit blind and just try to get the job done? Totally. Um, another, you know, positive is that Clarence Elkins ended up getting millions of dollars mm. uh, by suing... Um, he settled with the state of Ohio for $1.75 million. Uh, 1.075. Hmm. Uh, Over a million dollars. Uh, just, just million, several million dollars. Um, and he also, uh, settled with the city of Barberton with the police department for $5 million. Jesus. Um, hope he be- gave a couple of those to, Melinda. Uh, I know. I, for, I mean, for real. Um, and he also, you know, had bad PTSD for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that I'm sure that money is, uh, it's no, it's no victory. No. Uh, at the end of something like that. No. But that's the story of Clarence and Melinda Elkins. Fucking shit. God damn it. Isn't that's that crazy? crazy. Yeah. Crazy story. Amazing. Good job. Yeah. What's your fucking hooray for this week? Oh, wait. Let's just do a yoga corner check-in. Oh, okay. Because I want to do it because I did it That's again. That's right. And I'm very proud of myself. But partly only because I've developed something called plantar fasciitis, oh, which yeah. is the most painful foot issue that is such a bummer. And I was like, I have to go to yoga because I have to start stretching Mm. and it's all, it's all basically muscular, um, whatever. So I went back to the gentle yoga and I swear to God, things like this happen. Mm -hmm. When I got to the yoga class, the first stretch we did was the stretch I had been doing that helps plantar fasciitis. And she's like, we're just going to do this calf stretch against the wall. And I was just like, God, that's weird and fateful. It is. Um, it's like everything happens for a reason. It really does. So I'm kind of excited because I, now I feel like the, that, uh, whatever, the beginner's ice has been broken. The momentum. Yeah. I started. Well, it didn't do it for me, but (laughs) I do have an email that I can read. Oh, okay. Just as good, if not better. Great. Um, 
Karen, Georgia, Stephen, fuzzy friends. I heard on today's episode you suggest that people organize murderino yoga classes to raise money for good causes. Oh. Funny thing, the Richmond, Virginia Murderinos just organized one. Whoa. I set up a meetup yesterday evening and it was full. I set up, uh, set it up. It was full by this morning. I'm setting up a second one, um, be- for the wait list. Want to get everyone a chance to participate. I've chosen end the backlog as our good cause. Not only do I want to offer some sort of justice for the victims, but let's face it, rape is a gateway drug to murder. Instead of a murder themed flow, <laughs> we're going to practice a warrior themed flow to s- offer up strength for victims good and so this was sent in by katie who's the owner and instructor at lunge yoga in richmond virginia so, so awesome so fucking cool i love that so I, well, that's i'll go great i'll go this week to participate we'll Ma- keep we'll keep it going yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. i have to or i'm because i'm becoming the ossified man it's really frightening <laughs> it's like all my all my muscles are like well if you're not going to use us we're just going to freeze up permanently <laughs> horrifying uh, love it or leave it yeah Um, My fucking hooray. I just I've had a lot of anxiety lately and stress and unhappiness and just over social media. So I took Twitter and Facebook off my phone. Yep. And I'm just not using them at all right now. And it it doesn't feel great yet. It's not like I'm like, I feel amazing. No, it doesn't (laughs) feel great. It's hard. It is hard. And I and I'm bored. Uh, But (laughs) You know, I'm glad I took a stand. I called my psychiatrist to up my anxiety medication. So good. Took some steps to alleviate my anxiety a little bit instead of just, you know, sitting in it. And it's just a, it's a comfortable, familiar feeling, but I know it's not where I want to be. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's very good self-care. Oh, I also want to say real quick. I just, I thought of this about my story that uh, we're not making fun of or making drug addiction or heroin use you know a hilarious thing we drugs if you have a drug issue please go get help yeah i think we made that super clear okay great go yeah on. for sure um i mean i i'll tell you 95 more sad stories about how uncool drugs are yeah. uh well my my fucking hurry this week is a little weird um because i got very bad news on Tuesday morning. Um, and I haven't processed it yet, but I do want to talk about it because it's, it, my auntie Ping died and she was, I've known her since I was like in third grade. She was my, one of my mom's very best friends. And she was, um, one of the very few people that stayed with my mom all the way through her illness the entire time she was there for me and my sister she always had been she was just one of those like a real matriarch and a real badass Mm -hmm. she had a heart attack and died very suddenly she was relatively young i have not processed it yet it's not like hasn't really impacted me it was so shocking that and there's been so many other things going on that i've kind of like gone okay i'm gonna give myself four days and then i'm gonna deal with that later Mm -hmm. But it's because, like, she is just one of those people that you never thought was going to be gone. And so I would, I guess my, I would like to say this. We are only here for, like, fucking 15 minutes. I'm not kidding. The older you get, and when you're younger, you feel like nothing's ever going to happen to you. You feel, you feel like, you feel like you have all this time and that you can waste your time on stupid bullshit. You can waste your time on hating yourself. You can waste your, waste your time on hating other people. I, I don't recommend it. Um, it, we're on a clock. And if you can right now, the younger you are or wherever you are, if you can just 
understand that, accept that a little bit and start living your life like you could lose the people you love the most tomorrow or you could die tomorrow. I think it's a smarter way to live instead of getting it, it makes you extend yourself to people. It makes you a little less self-obsessed and a little more outward, outwardly oriented. And I, I just think like I was home for my sister's birthday. I could have called my auntie Ping and had lunch with her. I didn't do it. And now I'm never going to see her again. And I regret that so much, but that's kind of how it is. Like, and that's how it is with anybody. So I love you, Auntie Ping. Thank you for everything. And love the people that you love and try to do better with loving the people that you don't love. It's just better for you. That's beautiful, Karen. I'm so sorry for your loss. No, thank you. Cheers to Auntie Ping. Yeah, she was the greatest. She really was. Ping Demo. We'll miss her. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Bye. Elvis, you want a cookie? Wow. <laughs>